Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to Vice and Easy. Thank you so much for bearing with me for our technical issues last week, where I took last week off to train for my speed bartending competition. Of course, I'll keep you posted as it goes. And this week is actually a very good episode. I was very excited to come back to this. We are doing Golden Triangle Part 1. So we've already had Calderon's Return Part 1 and 2. We're now getting another two-parter, only 13 episodes into the season. So very impressed. Let's get down to it. The synopsis of this week's episode, Crockett and Tubbs are working an extortion scam when they uncover a plot to smuggle Castillo's former enemy into Miami. Dun dun dun. So we open up opening shot at a hotel, which turns out I actually looked into this. Um, I wanted to see if it was a hotel. I know they film at the Ritz a lot and they film at the Fontainebleau. They did not. This is just a condo. Sorry. Pretty. I gave it like a 5 out of 10, 6 out of 10. Could have had a little bit more outside decor. The lobby, I'd say, is like six or seven, as you can see in the um, gallery. You've got a lot of details in there, lots of shiny marble. I took a really good gif of Crockett and Tubbs pushing their way into the elevator and then pushing whoever was in the elevator out, which that was funny. So they're working undercover as hotel security, and they're dealing with a domestic violence issue on the floor. It's getting a little violent, a little scary. However, Crockett, cool as a cucumber, is able to handle this really well in this next clip. Where are you, buddy? <laughs> you don't want to hurt anybody now, do you? What do you say we let the lady go? Huh? And luckily, they are able to let the woman break free from his clutches. They tackle him. They fight in the elevator, stumble out of the elevator with him, and then are handcuffing him to the banister outside. And as you can see, they are over playing undercover at this hotel. However, I did take a picture of their outfits. Crockett is in a blue undershirt with like a um, three-quarter sleeve length linen white overshirt, which I really liked. Tubbs looks very hot. He's in like a three-piece suit. It's kind of like a cream. It's more of a yellowy than a beige, so I want to say it's more akin to like a cream or an ecru or an eggshell. Very handsome with beautiful big gold aviator sunglasses. So their outfits are on point for undercover at least. I would have assumed if they're doing hotel security that they would be in the proper hotel security outfits. But no, they could have their own style at least, and they just have like a security badge. So that's interesting. I guess it's, you know, a way to get through to whatever's going on in the hotel. And then after we come back from the intro, we get a little bit more detail about why they're there. As they're lamenting over this assignment, saying that they're really overworking hotel security, Castillo gives them a little bit more background as to why they're doing this and that they're there to catch dirty cops. And Castillo kind of explains a little bit more as they push back in this next clip. Like headhunting cops. If we did, we'd sign up for internal affairs. These cops are extorting payoffs from hookers working the high-rent hotels. Extortion, blackmail, assault. These aren't cops, they're outlaws. They're not your brothers, they never were. Ooh, I like that a lot. Because the one thing that Miami Vice consistently makes clear is that Crockett and Tubbs are good cops and there are a ton of bad cops out there. So it's not only Crockett and Tubbs against who they're going after in the vice department, it's their own quote unquote brothers. So I really like that quote from Castillo. Naturally, this is a very Castillo heavy episode. 
But I also noticed he's standing underneath a sign for Dosaria Perezosa, which kind of translates, hopefully this is correct, you can at me if you want, lazy candy shop. I think that's a cuter way to say it in Spanish, but I like that. I took a little screenshot of that. I took a ton of screenshots, GIFs, and clips this episode. I also noticed, I usually episodes are around 42, 44 minutes long back, you know, back in the old days for commercials, especially on network television. So I noticed this episode was either 46 or 48. I have it somewhere in my notes. So it's a little bit longer than usual. And I think that's also why they split up into two. It is more akin to its own separate movie within the Miami Vice multiverse. So this is a very cool episode. I'm very excited. I'm very excited for part two. So it gets very good, but it's, I think I've worried that this episode is going to be like an hour long. So hopefully you have a long commute and I will not bore you to death with this episode. And so after the talk with Castillo, Crockett and Tubbs basically say they need a new approach. And then we segue into Crockett working by the pool, kind of trying to look like the classic nerd stereotype with like a button up shirt all the way. It looks like he has a calculator in his pocket. He's reading very old school, this printout on the paper with the um, with the divots on the side. Very old school. They would have to rip off. Yeah. Very old school. I took a, I took a picture of it because, of course. And it is funny because a man as handsome as Don Johnson cannot really play this, like, nerdy, sexually inexperienced guy. But as you can see, he does in this next scene. We meet a beautiful woman with a lot of spunk and a very thick New York accent. Her name is Candy. She scopes out Crockett, walks right over to him, asks him to put scent and lotion on her shoulders, starts making small talk... And then they kind of get to the heart of it all and what they're both really here for in this next clip. Is, is this going to uh, cost me anything? Well, not exactly welcome way. <laughs> and then when she's naming off prices, she says $50 for, I heard the word strain. Don't know in what context that could mean. And then she says, a la carte, it's gonna cost more. So off the menu or like one item at a time, I'm just relaying this to menus. And that if something isn't on the menu, he can ask. So now he has a little bit more proof that she is a prostitute. She asks for his room key. He pulls out his badge. Then they bring her in. I really like the setup shop set up a shot sorry in the interrogation room you see her legs crossed this nice cute little blue dress that I really enjoy blue ankle boots and this big dark blue straw hat I really enjoy her look here and I know I'm biased because I am also tall blonde with a deep voice my accent's not as thick so I actually really like her. I very much like Candy. And she's very much a spunky character in this episode. And that's also why the background music you'll hear later on, the Jan Hammer background music, is called Candy. So let's give it up for her. But great shot. We still have Crockett in his white short button-up shirt. And then we also have Tubbs back in the ecru eggshell, maybe very soft pastel yellow suit. So yellow is a big color in this episode. You'll see it again. I'll mention this again. You can also see it on the gallery. Um, kind of the overarching color thematic identity of this episode. I think I just put a word salad out there. It doesn't make any sense, but color palette this episode. There we go. And while they're talking in the interrogation room, 
Candy says that uh, she's a little too smart to have fallen for this, but uh, <laughs> Crockett and Tubbs kind of call her out on that. Scoping out men is how I make my living. <laughs> well, you can't be too good at it, mama. Busted three times for soliciting, lewd and lascivious acts, all pending, one for holding coke. That was dropped. So she's no stranger to what's going on. She's been in the interrogation room before. Castillo comes out, looks at her record, just says it looks like a lot of time. She senses something's going on because if they want to book her, they would have just already booked her and locked her up already. So what do they want? They want information about these dirty cops. She says she's happy to talk and she knows what's going on, but she's never paid the cops, even though they've asked her to pay up. So as I talk about, you know, what they really want out of this, they want her to wear a wire, record an interaction with the cops so they can get the proof that they need. She wants her record wiped, which, smart. And it's on. Crockett and Tubbs have a new job title now, thanks to Castillo. Supplement your income, gentlemen. Your pimps. So now Crockett and Tubbs are going back to hotel security with a little bit of uh, extracurricular moonlighting in their pocket. And Crockett has really sage advice for Candy. Is she going to take it? Who knows? My advice to you is after this is done, vacate Miami. Hey, that's real nice. Girl could always use some friendly advice. (laughs) And now we are back at the security office. And please, if you are driving, as soon as you park or pull over, safely get your destination, please go to the gallery at vicedeasypodcast.com. You you know in the 70s when anything took place in the future or how that future is exciting, it was just like very block lettery, very communist with bright colors. So how I describe this set that they built for the security vault is like they must have been watching Rollerball the night before because that's what it reminds me of. It is so over the top and ridiculous to look at with 2022 eyes. So if you need a laugh, please, by all means. And why are we in the security vault from Rollerball lockbox? So a gentleman is asking Crockett if he can check out a safety deposit box. Crockett brings him to talk to the guard. And the gentleman in question, Zarbo, wants to know if it's safe. So Crockett gets a little bit more information. He wants to make sure it's safe. Safe? Well, it sure is safe, mister. Against the acts of God or the vagaries of man. Message! Ah, yes, I am bringing message back because it is important to know for this episode. Now we're back at the hotel pool. And the girls, you have Candy, you have Gina, you have Trudy, are lounging by the pool while Tubbs and Zito play pimp and it's actually very funny so the skinny gentleman sorry i'm just gonna call him zarbo sorry the gentleman who was looking at the safety deposit box is with another gentleman and they are checking out what tubs and zito are doing by the pool and they know that they work hotel security so they're wondering why hotel security are also working as pimps check them out from the bar then we have a little kind of fun with this where they play along and this is tubs and gina this next clip room 312 Make it quick. Zero's off duty in a half hour. Anything for you, baby. <laughs> I like the way you say that. 
they're definitely having some fun with this, which I appreciate. And Candy, Gina, and Trudy all look great. Candy's in a silver top with like long purple satin pants. I don't know how hot that is in Miami when they're filming at this time of year. I want to say it's probably filmed in like November-ish too, so not super humid, but still humid. And then Gina and Trudy look great. Gina is in like a black and white, but bright colored pattern swimsuit and looks very cute. They all look beautiful. And then we cut to Candy leaving the hotel, her purple car being brought up to the front by the valet, purple convertible too, beautiful. A car starts tailing Candy. The crocodile tubs start tailing them in the spider. Cop car puts his lights on, pulls her over. The two guys get out and start getting a little rough with her. Remember, she's wearing a wire. We sent you a message already. Now slow the mail is. Yeah. We figured it must be something like that. Now wait a minute, officer. This is going too far. So we thought we'd make this special delivery. They're gonna work her, man. Let's go. The other girl. Hey, hold it. We're the guys who did that. You like the other one? You got an attitude. Wait a minute, officer. What it is is five hundred a week. And you tell those two pimps we want our taste tomorrow. This is something that comes up with Crockett a lot. It's very admirable that when a woman is in danger from violence from a man, from another woman, he is always very quickly ready to step up and take it down. Whereas procedurally, I understand why Tubbs made them wait because they wanted to get more evidence on tape. So therefore, the dirty cops could be hit with bigger charges. So I want to say, I don't want to overreach here. Again, this is a fictional character I'm talking about, but I'm assuming that Crockett does come from an abusive household and thereby he's very protective of women, which I appreciate. And sadly, to foreshadow, they do rough her up. She does get the clip, hands over her wire. She's done. She is not happy with Crockett and Tubbs. She tells him to eat dirt and die and 100% understandable on her part. On a very superficial note, Crockett and Tubbs look amazing during this scene. Crockett is an outfit very similar to the one that we opened up on the pilot with him, with the white suit, with kind of the teal aquamarine turquoise undershirt, and then Tubbs in gray and black. Looks gorgeous. So that is my superficial note ending on that that sad scene, watching her get roughed up by the dirty cops. And so when that scene ends, you know that Croc and Tubbs have enough evidence to hopefully go after these guys. When we open up the next day on the boat, Crockett is pissed, slams down his phone, which obviously I took a picture of. The cops are already out. So you can see how frustrated they are and that they need more and more evidence to get them behind bars, if ever. A little bit of comic relief here. Crockett notices Elvis's talons are getting a little long, or his nails. So he starts filing Elvis's nails with like kind of like an industrial, it's not emery board, like we use emery boards as humans. It's just like, it's like an industrial, like a, I don't even know what it's called. Like it's like an industrial filer. This is wild. It's so funny. I took a gif of it, obviously. and. At a very opportune moment, the two gentlemen, Zarbo and the other gentleman, who've already met Crockett when they started wanted to look at the safety deposit box, Zarbo did. They were watching them from across the bar. Now they visit Crockett 
And they have a few questions as to how a hotel security guard can afford this lifestyle. So they know that they're a little bit dirty. So they want to go into business together. I mean, how you have all this stuff and what you make is a rent for cop? Are you writing a book? Yeah, maybe. Well, then kiss me and make it a love story. Figured you might be interested in a little moonlighting. What kind of score? The vault. Let us hear the deal. Hmm. We'll talk later. And now, on our way back to the precinct, I'm going to point this out because I noticed this in the episode. They use the same B-roll footage of the spider rolling up in the daytime over a bridge, making a left turn past the Gold Coast storage building where they're located. I noticed that it comes up later on the episode as well. Interesting. And once they're in the precinct, they get a little bit more info on this gentleman, Zarbo. Again, he's... 34 years old he looks a lot older than 34 i think also to be fair he's very slim so maybe just makes his face look a little bit more angular and hollow but 34 years old but yeah you can kind of see his rap sheet again i put a picture of him and actually candy's rap sheet as well because candy's rap sheet has the info says she's 25 years old then you have the two pictures of the dirty cops on the top right hand side and I see, you know, sex male, age 34. Neither of those guys looks to be 34 years old. I don't know if 34 is just the age that they put when someone's supposed to be a little bit older. A little offended, personally. <laughs> someone thought that either of these two cops could pass for 34 years old. <laughs> I'm not sensitive about my age. That's not it at all. But as they're examining his rap sheet, remember, Tubbs comes from robbery and homicide in the Bronx. Some things are just not adding up. This cat's got every felony on here but burglary. Kind of late in life for a career move. It happens. Yeah, not often. A burglar may slide over into uh, armed robbery. But Zabo, the score strictly not his style. Yeah, so he just really can't pinpoint why or what reason so when Crockett's back at the hotel guess who he runs into Candy even though he told her to get out of Miami once that deal was done once her record was wiped once she got all the info she needed to on the wire she didn't listen to Crockett they both run into Zarbo since they both have covers to protect he's not going to say anything she's not going to say anything so, Crockett is her cousin. Candy and Zerbo go up to his room, naturally. Crockett goes back to the security office, freaking out. He cannot stand her. He thinks that she's going to blow this whole cover. Guess who walks in? She's going to bury us. No, I'm not. I'm going to help you. Tip for tat. Yeah. I don't want your damn car. Not mine. Zarbo's. Though you might like to check it out. So as all three are walking to the parking lot, they find the car. It's an old school Cadillac with a tire on the back. And I took a GIF because I didn't know this is how you unlock the trunk of a car with a tire on the back. Like, obviously now... I don't think those styles remain, but I never thought of it because you see them go underneath, pull the tire down, and then unlock the trunk, which I thought was really cool. Maybe that was also back in the day another form of protection from car break-ins 
whereas it was much harder to break into that those style of trunks. So maybe it kind of deterred thieves. Who knows? They do find, as you can see in the gallery, what looks like a very high tech lock picking kit. That's definitely not just a emergency car kit. Then as Tubbs is rifling through the glove compartment, he finds a receipt for a very seedy motel. Candy recognizes the name of it, says it's like 10 bucks a night, really seedy, kind of gross. So then they wonder, why would Zarbo have a receipt for this dingy motel when he has a suite at one of the nicest hotels in Miami? It doesn't make sense. Well, now they have a little bit more to work with, but they're still kind of confused as to what the motive is here and what is the score. They're walking out of the garage. Crockett keeps giving her the same advice that she's not listening to. Aw, come on. Is Noble something in this for me? Oh, yeah. Trouble. Now, you got a clean sheet in Miami, so take it and walk. We don't care where you take it, just take it. Look, sweetheart, it's for your own good, all right? Now get out of Miami. And kind of at that moment, guess who they run into? Zarbo. Guess who wants to go on a walk? Zarbo. Guess who he wants to introduce them to? His name is Mr. Ross. He's the ex-cop that they busted, and he has a bone to pick with Crockett and Tubbs, blaming them for him getting caught when Candy actually takes the credit. However, Mr. Ross gets physical, slaps her, calls for a slut, which prompts a punch from Crockett and a legendary pimp slap by Tubbs. And when I mean pimp slap, I mean backhand, fronthand, smooth. Um, of course, I took a gif of it that you can see on the gallery. Crockett also says he'll kill him if he ever puts his hand on a woman like that again. So, love to see it. So since Candy covered for them, Zarbo still wants to do business with Crockett and Tubbs. And Crockett and Tubbs kind of say that, you know, they did since they did a little bit of recon on Crockett, that they just wanted to pay back the favor and do a little recon and get to know who they're dealing with, who they're doing business with. And Zarbo wants them to get into the security deposit box. And they start to ask a few more questions, mostly why and what box. However, Zarbo, this is what he wants. How do you know which box is the punch? I don't. We're going to punch them all. And so with that information, we are now back at the vault. A guard is talking to Crockett, Zarbo, and Zarbo's friend about the security features of the vault. It's kind of a multiple conversation. I wasn't able to get too much detail from it. But the friend of Zarbo's, who has not yet been named, walks into the room with the safety deposit boxes, starts looking at the security features, looks at the mother, that's the giant chip in the system, looks at the cameras, looks at the keypad in the front. He's doing his recon, and it was very easy to distract the guard. So as this progresses, Crockett and Tubbs go back to Castillo and report on what's been going on. Castillo has a much different plan of attack than you would have thought in this next clip. Well, Zarbo wants to make his move just before the guard leaves at midnight. And one of us gets the guard to open up. They put the guard to sleep, and then they take it down. Leave us tied up with the guard. Which box does he want? He wants to punch them all. How far do we let him go, Lieutenant? All the way. We'll see what falls out of the boxes. Ooh, I like that. 
every single line that lo- that Castillo delivers this scene is gold. And I know this is a Castillo-centric episode, but I'm really happy that they're finally fleshing him out a little bit, giving him a little bit more than just serious stare. They're able to kind of like play into that very serious reserve side of his personality and really let it show with some creative writing. So kudos to the writers for this episode. Now, as coming as a surprise to nobody, Zarbo and his friend hit the security deposit boxes that same night. No advanced warning. Crockett and Tubbs were not involved at all. They basically kind of used Crockett as a patsy to get in to see the security features of the vault and go from there. And we do see in that little scene, the guy, Zarbo's friend, he's never been named, that's why I just call him the guy. He basically just plugs something in. This is very old school, where basically it just kind of gives made up codes into the system to try to break it. Once we get more information the next day from the technician that comes in, it's only a three number code or three digit code. Therefore, that's very easy. If you have a high powered machine that can guess a lot of numbers and a lot of combinations, that's very easy to crack. So it is kind of, I'm not here to blame the security vault, but it does seem like security was pretty weak and that's maybe why they targeted it. We don't have any rhyme or reason. We don't know why they blew up all the boxes and they left a ton of jewels and money. So what were they really after? Well, Crockett and Tubbs are frustrated with the rest of the Vice Squad figuring out how they were able to get under their noses and do it so quickly. Zarbo and his friend are at the Shady Hotel, which I'm gonna interject, does not look that shady. I took a picture of it, air conditioning, cable. In 1984, those are pretty solid amenities. So it doesn't look that shady. And the lights are all working too, by the way. So it doesn't look like a $10 a night, you know, pay by the hour motel. So while they're rummaging through, they keep saying something about papers. However, then they hear a knock at the door. Another knock. A guy with a mask comes in, shoots them. Turns out that Zito and Swiatek are on the scene, finds Zarbo dead, find his friend still alive, again, mentioning papers. They then take this information back to the crime scene at the vault to let Crockett and Tubbs know. He um, kept talking about paper, papers, like it was a joke or something. And they said the, all the trouble was just for some papers or something like that. What's the matter? No loot? Gone. Who got to these guys? So naturally, Crockett and Tubbs assume the dirty cop that manhandled Candy is behind this. They go pay him a visit at his house. At the same time they pull up, he's packing his car. He is ready to get out of town. They get him. He says, why didn't you guys tell me you were cops? As if, you know, they're supposed to help each other in this situation. So he says that he's not a murderer at all. He just was supposed to help Zarbo get out of town. That was it. He does admit to taking the loot once he found out that they were dead, but he never murdered them. I panicked. I wasn't thinking about them, but just getting out of there. Just getting clear. But I didn't kill them. You got to believe that. I'm a cop like you. I never... You ain't no cop. Ooh, I think I should just have like a one-liner category for this episode because I got a couple in there. That was a great one. You ain't no cop. He's right. Back at the precinct, they wonder whether this guy is telling the truth or not. Crockett says he believes him, and they try to brainstorm 
why. Zito says that Zerbo, his tongue was mutilated. And then Zwitek mentions that the other guy was Ty. A light bulb, you know, like in a cartoon where someone has a good idea and a light bulb just pops above their head. This happens to Castillo and his eyes almost pop out of his head. And he asks, why didn't you tell me they were Thai? How'd you know? So Zeno and Swiatek just say they noticed he had a Thai tattoo on his arm with the mutilated tongue. All these things click in for Castillo and he now knows what we're dealing with. And it's serious. So since Zarbo's tongue was mutilated... And the other guy was never going to make it. They said that they wanted, it looked like they wanted him dead, dead. So it looks like a pretty brutal job on both of them. Castillo naturally takes Kraken and Tubbs to the morgue to look at Zarbo's body. And I think also to look at the unnamed friend who we now know is Ty. And even Castillo asks if they ever got his name. Kraken and Tubbs say no. And Castillo knows that this has to mean something. This is a message. Castillo finally opens up a bit. He recognizes this type of mutilation from his time working with the DA in Thailand. He sends to send a message that he crossed a very powerful and important man. Then Castillo starts to mention a name, General Lao Li. And Castillo gives Croc and Tubbs a little bit more of this backstory. Lieutenant, what's going on? And who the hell is General Lao Li? He's a nationalist Chinese ex-general living in Thailand. Controls most of the opium coming out of the Golden Triangle. The heroin. It comes in by way of Toronto. My guess is that they're moving their operations to Miami. Uh, number one, Toronto shout out. Number two, I was trying to wrap my head around this. I didn't really know that Toronto would be an epicenter of drug trade. And also, wouldn't you want to cross it over to a border with 10 times as many people? AKA Canada with only 30 million versus the US with like 360. Then it made more sense I was thinking about it. So back in the day, you only needed your driver's license to cross the border. It was very relaxed compared to now. So maybe that's why it was easier to smuggle drugs from Toronto into the States. So now it's making a little bit more sense. Once you take into context, this was traveling pre 9-11. And then they're still wondering, like, okay, so what are these papers? Castillo hypothesized that maybe it's contracts or delivery schedules. He's not quite sure. And once he leaves the morgue, Croc and Tubbs wonder themselves, What's really going on? I wonder what's really going on with him. Whatever it is, for him, it's personal. And so not only is it personal, it's also business. So Castillo and Tubbs start heading off to different Thai restaurants within the city of Miami. They were able to get the names and the information of six recent Thai immigrants, and they want to go do a little bit more reconnaissance on this possible assassin. This shows, that mutilation shows, that Lao Li's assassin, someone related to Lao Li, has sent an assassin. This is the same message, is in Miami. So they want to get to the bottom of it. I actually took a couple pictures of the storefronts. I really liked the different restaurants they went to. I thought it was kind of cool. You got to see different styles. My favorite, of course, of course, of course, of course, black and gold with like big big opulent I think it's a dragon sorry if that's misappropriation 
for the door handles. Gorgeous. It is so 80s and dank. When they get in, there's a very beautiful host in a very beautiful blue dress. And then Castillo totally buried the lead in this. He could speak Thai in this next clip. Jack loves some good. Oh, Sawadita. Sawadita. If you do speak Thai, please feel free and write in, tell us what they're saying, and feel free to rate Edward James almost as Thai. I know that he does speak Japanese that we could see in Blade Runner, so if you could speak both Thai and Japanese and Spanish and English, super cool, that would be amazing. And then now back to Castillo, the character. Tubbs really wants to know what's going on. Castillo finally gives him a little bit more background in this next clip. I worked with the DEA for three years, undercover, in the mountains, between Burma and Thailand. Three years. It's a long time. It's a lifetime. And so after Castillo's given Tubbs a little bit more backstory, a gentleman comes over to the table in a very low-cut button shirt. Basically, there's one button that's all the way at his belly button, so his chest is on display. Castillo gets a little bit uneasy. He recognized that tattoo. He looks at one of the cards he has, I guess that he got from immigration, which, by the way, doesn't even have a birthday or anything on it. It's just this guy's picture and a couple of numbers. So, (laughs) I don't know how helpful that is, but they were able to match the face and the name. Castillo gets serious, tell, tells Tubbs to go cover the back. Castillo goes into the kitchen. So, following the very inappropriately dressed busboy into the kitchen, because that open shirt is definitely a health code violation, gets in the kitchen, and that same music, that kind of like high, like that intensity, like do 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 is playing. Not a word of dialogue is spoken as Castillo makes eyes at everybody in the kitchen. The guy, the busboy, he locks eyes with, throws a knife at him, which I took a gif of. They run outside, start fighting each other, start speaking in Thai again. I can just understand the word Miami. That's all I got. They're doing martial arts, fighting outside. Tubbs tells Crockett to come meet them in the back. They go cover Castillo. But Castillo has knocked this guy to the ground. He's won the fight. However, it doesn't end there. General Lee's assassin. Swallowing his tongue. He's killing himself. Okay, disclaimer. I don't think you can actually do this without biting off your own tongue and swallowing it. Because I just tried to like flip my tongue back into my mouth. Um, I know during seizures you're always supposed to put someone's tongue down so they can't swallow it, but if you have full control of your body, I think you are able to control it. So I'm assuming in this case that he bit off his tongue and then swallowed it to choke on it and die so he wouldn't be able to be held in custody, tell any secrets. So unfortunately, that lead is gone. Next day, back at the precinct in the morning where it's that same B-roll of the spider rolling down over the bridge, making a left-hand turn outside Goku storage. They all look great. They're all in different types of stripes. Tons of stripes in this scene. Crockett and Tubbs are dressed like a little bit more casually in, you know, kind of like day t-shirts. 
They're looking at papers and whatnot. No idea where it came from, but Castillo has a little bit more insight as to what's going on. What's this about? That was delivered by a messenger this morning. She's pretty. Lieutenant, there's nothing here to explain the papers they took. They weren't papers. They were immigration visas. They're not bringing in heroin. They're bringing in people. Lowley's not coming. He's here. And now if you're wondering, who was that woman they said was pretty? What does she have to do with all this? She looks tired. Who is she? It's my wife. Okay, way to bury the lead on that, Castillo. What a mic drop. That's, I, when I watched this episode and I'd kind of forgotten about the twist, I was like, oh, like I, my, my mouth, my jaw did drop. That is wild. And just his delivery too, just so stoic, my wife. Okay, backstory there. <laughs> Great episode. Loved it. It did feel a little bit longer in a good way. There was a lot of information, a lot of style, a lot of gifts, a lot of pictures, lots of great outfits. Let's break it down. The Vice Tea is a little bit light this week, but let's get into the guest star. So Robin Johnson, she played Candy. You might know her from Times Square or After Hours. She didn't really act much after it seems on her IMDb after 1988. She has one credit recently within like the past 10 years, but she was also, I believe she was the traffic reporter for a local news radio station in Los Angeles, which I thought was cool. Because I was like, that is a very strong voice. So I'm glad she was working radio. Very fitting. I liked her a lot. I know this character might be a little jarring, but as a tall, deep-voiced woman, I very much connect with Candy, and I like her a lot. Don't think she's the smartest. I think she left Miami as soon as she got those cops on wire, but I do like her. And Robin brought a lot of the charm to the character, so kudos to her. And Joan Chen who was uncredited because her role in this episode is picture of Castillo's wife. No further explanation. She, you might know her from Twin Peaks. That was her other role. And John Snyder, who played Zarbo, he was also in Crime Story. So you got that Michael Mann connection using the same actors. But I looked at his IMDb. He is very busy doing a ton of voiceover work, especially with anime and using different names, which I thought was really interesting. So he is a very busy man. Good for him. Now, the Vice team might have been weak this week, but you know what wasn't? Ah, so many good looks this week. Personally, for Best Trust, I am torn. Crockett in the white suit with the teal undershirt, with tubs in gray and black, unbuttoned shirt, of course, after Candy is roughed up by the cops in the alleyway. That is my second favorite look this episode. I think my first my favorite look is going to be Crockett with the silver jacket, pink undershirt, tubs in two different shades of blue outside at night. I put a gif. I put a picture. That is going to be my lock for best dressed. For the best dressed woman, I'm obviously going to give it to Candy in her inaugural outfit. Thereby, the blue strapless dress, the blue ankle boots, and the big blue hat that she has on her lap at the precinct. Honorable mention to Gina's swimsuit. What a fashionable episode. I can't get over it. I also liked Zarbo's suit. Zarbo, oh sorry, John Snyder's very slim, but so it makes him look a little, little lanky in that 
suit looks like it's a little bit too big for him. But it's a beautiful color. It's kind of like a rose pink. And I just really like the cut of it. I took a picture of it. Obviously, that is during the scene where the cough is rubbing the cop is roughing up candy. And he's with them. I really like that look as well. Just a very fashionable episode. And my other honorable mention this episode goes to the color yellow. We have yellow at the security vault. Yellow when Crockett is trying to pa- failingly pass off as a Poindexter. Tubbs's suit in the hotel, which is kind of like a very, very pale shade of yellow with the gold aviator sunglasses. Then Zito and Switek showing up to the ransacked deposit vault in two different shades of yellow. Just yellow all around, I think, is the star of this episode. The color yellow. And so while I could talk about how amazing and beautiful and handsome everybody was in this episode, go to the gallery at viceneasypodcast.com. See all the gifts I made. See all the pictures I got for you. Now let's break it down into music. This one's very easy, this episode, because there is one song. Dolly Parton's cover of Great Balls of Fire by Jerry Lee Lewis. And then we have the instrumentals. So obviously, Candy would be for all the scenes with our girl Candy. And it actually holds up on its own as a track. And the other one, naturally, is Golden Triangle, which appears close to the end once the story of what's going on with Thailand kind of originates. And I just want to shout out, because the reason I was able to get the name of the Golden Triangle, one, I thought it was named something different. It's just Golden Triangle. I thought it would be much more complicated. Uh, Marty Castillo's music YouTube page, where he's able to track and get all the music from Miami Vice, instrumental songs, kind of separate on there. So give him a follow. He just helped me right now. And last but not least, with an episode this exciting, let's get to the Faye Five. Faye Five is naturally going to be a lot of just handsome, handsome, handsome gentlemen. First one, oh my God, I, I still laugh every time I see this set. It's the security vault. It's the security office. I can't. It is so cheesy and futuristic. It looks like it was filmed in like 1973. I love it though. I love it. I really want to know who created the set and give them a high five. It gets better when you see the door with the little holes through it. I'm like, again, this is a security vault. Wouldn't it be like solid steel or metal doors, not the holes in it to make it look more futuristic and cool? So maybe this is why it was so easy to break into. Um, second Faye Five is going to be the epic pimp slap that Tubbs gives the cop that roughed up Candy. Also, Faye Five is just Crockett and Tubbs protecting women everywhere. Third Faye Five is just how handsome they look in this gif. I'm going to put this gif on Instagram too and see what response I get. My fourth Faye Five, or number four, is going to be the super high-tech technology that these criminal masterminds were able to get through. And I just think it's so hilarious looking at it with 2022 eyes. And you can see that his little code reader, I'm sure probably cost like $20,000 in 1984. But, you know, it's just so funny nowadays. Now everything is so high-tech with fingerprints and retinas that just a little machine like this could overpower safety a vault wild and of course my last fave five they are dragons i was not misappropriating 
these doors at the Thai restaurant. I wish they had a better scene about a third of the shot is blocked by wood panels because just the intricacies, it looks like there's statues also uh, on either side of the doors too. It looks like there's gold statues. Then you have the dragons on the door surrounded by the gold trim. Just cannot get over this, how awesome it is. I It was a tough choice between the doors of the restaurant and the lobby as my, you know, cocaine palace architectural pick, but had to go with the doors of the Thai restaurant. And that is it. That's the episode. With all the clips I had, I legit thought this episode would run an hour. I am so excited. We're going to do Golden Triangle Part 2 next week. It gets a little bit more exciting. We get a little bit more backstory into Castillo and his surprise wife that nobody's ever heard about and that nobody knew he spoke Thai. Nobody knew anything about his background. So going to be very interesting catch us next week this is the vice and easy podcast you can see all the galleries for every single episode at viceandeasypodcast.com you can also see it in the descriptions of each episode on spotify apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts don't forget i also have a youtube channel you can also listen to episodes there and you can also see memes fun stuff pictures gifts on instagram and tiktok at viceandeasypodcast.com thank you again for all the nice reviews for subscribing for supporting. It means a lot. I'm just one woman trying to make it work. And I really appreciate all the kind words, all the support, all the love. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for listening to Vice and Easy. We'll see you next week for Golden Triangle Part 2. And as always, hey man, Miami Wise is number one new show.